listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, Northside, we are four weeks into a six-week series called Questioning the Bible, where every week we're asking some questions about the Bible, like week one when we said, you know, uh, what is the Bible? Week two, can I trust the Bible? Week three, why should I let the Bible guide my life? Today, how how should I read the Bible? Next week, how, how do you understand the Bible? And we, we're even going to look at the question, you know, what problems do people have with the Bible? And, and why this series? Why, why are we doing this? We're doing it because God has revealed himself through his word, but we are illiterate to the narrative of God. We're, we're doing it because one in six people in our country only read the word of God four times or, or, or more a week. And so we, we're just not engaging it. And that is why we have entered into this year, uh, what at Northside we're calling a year of Bible engagement, where we're inviting you to read a couple chapters with us every week and to pray a psalm and, and to watch a couple animated videos as you see those. And all of that is available on our website. So you can, if you're new with us today, you could jump in and join along with us as we go through the Word of God so we can engage it, so, so we can hear from Him. This is a, a critical part of our faith, and that's why we're doing it. And so today, I, I just want to answer this question, how do I read the Bible? Now, some of you may be thinking, well, if you can read, then you can read the Bible. I mean, that's, you put words with sentence. But what I'm really asking is, what is your approach? How do you read it? What's your understanding of it? The Bible's comprised of multiple books and genres and, and styles and cultural settings. So, I mean, how do you read it accurately? And that's a very important question to ask. Michael DeFazio uh, from Ozark Christian College, on their website, you can find where he has done a whole series of teachings on how to read the Bible. And whenever we came up with this question, we started, you know, we're looking at various resources and we came across his. And I'm just going to tell you today, it is fantastic. He's on sabbatical. Otherwise, I'd just have him preach it today. So a lot of what I'm going to share today are things that you'll find there if you want to go and watch that series of videos, eight sessions on how to read the Bible and he covers that for us. And, and the first thing that he says, and I want to share with you today, is this. He says, start with the right goals. Start with the right goals. If you start with the right goals, then it will set you in the right direction. And so what are your goals? What, what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to get out of it when you read the Bible? Is it just to get smarter? Is it to become more literate? Is it so you can, be, can feel more spiritual or have the right answers? What are your goals? And, and really, there's two primary goals when you're reading Scripture that you need to have in place. Both of these are, are extremely important. And the first goal is this, to hear from God. That's the first goal. We're not coming at this just because we're curious or just because we're interested or because we just want more information. We're coming to the Word of God as worshipers. And as worshipers, we want to hear from him. We want to hear what God has to say to us. In fact, Corey and I were discussing that this week. And, 
And as we were talking about my sermon, and we were just saying, man, it would not be good if people walk away from today, from this sermon, how do I read the Bible, and see it as just an academic exercise. Because there's a little bit of that in this sermon today, and we thought it would just be the worst thing if people walk away from this sermon and go, hmm, that's interesting. I mean, that, the Bible doesn't really leave us that luxury to engage it, to talk with it, to interact with it, and for us to go, hmm, that's interesting. The Bible was written for so much more than that. In fact, I'm going to tell you three things. My prayer from this day forward, when you engage the word of God, that this is how you come at it, okay? And, and these all have actions, of course, right? I have actions to go with these things. And you're welcome to do them along with me. I won't make you. That's up to you. But um, you're welcome to do it. The first thing I pray when you engage the word of God is you would go, wow, wow, that, that you would have this reverent awe for what you're reading when you encounter the word of God. You'd just be like, you can do it if you want to, if, if you feel like it. Wow! That, that's what I, my prayer is. And then that the next thing you would do is go, ow! Wow! Ow! Ow, because you have an open heart to it. You're, you're ready to let the word of God speak what it needs to speak into your life. And you're like, ow, that hurts. That, 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 that's intended not just for the audience, but there's some things God wants to teach me. And then your next reaction is, How? How do I obey this? How do I apply this? Wow! Ow! How? How do I live this out in my life? That's my prayer as you go with the Word of God. So your first goal is to hear from Him. That you hear accurately from the Lord. You know, if you were to go to a bookstore, you can find all kinds of self-help books and they might teach you about time management and priorities and goal setting and all of that's good. But you're not going to find a book there unless it's the Word of God that's going to transform your life or teach you about absolute truth or lead you into salvation. Only the Word of God can do those things. And, and so we want to hear from God so He can, He can change us and, and your goals matter. And if you have the right goal when you approach the word of God, then I'm telling you right now, God will bless. He will bless your goal. You will hear from God. So our first goal in reading the word of God is to hear from God. And here's the second goal, to understand the meaning of the text. To understand what I'm reading. Too many people, when they read the Bible, they ask this question, what does this mean to me? And that is the wrong question to start with. Sometimes when someone is facilitating the group, they'll say, They'll read a scripture and say, what does this mean to you? That is not the right question to start with. The right question to start with is, what is the author's intended meaning? What is the author trying to convey through these words? And what did this text mean to those to whom it was first written? That's a better question. Because if the meaning of the text starts with me and what I think it means, that's called eisegesis. That, that's where I read into the text my own presuppositions, my own biases, my, my, my own agenda shows up. I'm, I'm the authority for what the text means. Here's what it means to me. And this is often why the Bible is so misused and abused. Because what it may mean to you is not at all what the author is actually saying. And if God is ultimately the author in the scripture behind the words because of inspiration, which we talked about last week and the week before, then I need to say, what, what is God communicating to me through this text? 
And that's what we call exegesis. Exegesis, where you, it's, exegesis is the discipline of extracting grammatically what the text is actually saying, what it says. Exegesis draws the author's intended meaning out of the text, not my meaning. The author is the authority of the text. That is essential to understanding Scripture accurately. And it may take a little bit of work, but it is so worth it. Otherwise, you will miss the meaning of the text. You won't actually understand what God is saying to you accurately. So how can you hear from God if you don't understand it accurately? If the two goals are to hear from God and understand the meaning of the text, then to hear from God, we need to understand what God is saying. Otherwise, we're not actually hearing what he is saying. So I've got a verse that I want us to memorize together right now. It's up on the screen right here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. Paul is writing this to this young man named Timothy. It's one of the last, this is the last letter that Paul wrote. And so uh, I want us to think about this. Here's what Paul says. He says, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. So everybody say this out loud with me right now. You ready? Say it with me. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Say it again. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Take the, take the words away from the screen and let's do it again. Memorize it. You ready? Reflect on what I'm saying and the Lord will give you insight into all this. Hopefully you closed your eyes so you weren't cheating. That's what I'm hoping. But anyway, so reflect on what I'm saying. That's understanding the text. Reflect on what I'm saying. That's the second goal we talked about. Understand the text. So that the Lord will give you insight into all of this. That's the first goal, which is hearing from the Lord. Understanding and hearing, that's our goals. If we start with the right goal, then God is going to bless what you do. Secondly, when, it, when you read the Bible, you need to come at it with humility. Read with humility. I, I talked about this last week, and so I'm not going to expand on this very much. But I like the way that Michael DeFazio said this. He said it this way. He said, character is just as important as your method when you're reading the scriptures, when it comes to reading the Bible, your, your character is just as important as your method. Because if you don't have the right mindset or disposition to learn, if you don't have an open heart to what God wants to do in, in you, then you're not going to receive what you need to hear regardless of the methods that you're applying to reading the word of God. So your character matters to this. Here's another way that he said it. Good interpretation begins with good interpreters. Good interpretation of the scripture begins with good interpreters. This doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you have a master degree and you've gone to school so you can understand all of this because Paul is telling Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying, meditate on it, think on it, and the Lord will give you insight into all of this. I actually know some people who do not engage with the word of God. They, they don't read it. And, and the reason they're not reading is because they're afraid they're going to misrepresent it or misunderstand or not understand it accurately. It, it feels a little bit foreign to them, different culture and settings and time periods. And so they, they just, they don't want to get it wrong. And so let someone else explain it to them and, and read it for them because they don't want to get it wrong. But you understand, God gave you this word. His word is for you. And you can understand it. The Lord will give you insight into this. So trust him in the journey that God will help you understand his word. You just need to come at it humbly, willing to hear whatever God wants to reveal to you. You come at it open and, and honest. And God will give you insight. 
So to be a good interpreter, you do two things. One is you pray and you ask God to give you insight. As you read God's word, start with that. God, give me insight. Lead me into the truth of your word. I want to understand. And then number two, you need to check your assumptions at the door. We all have them. We all have assumptions that we bring to the Bible with us. And you know what? Some of those are good and some are bad. If your assumption is that that God exists, well, that's a good assumption when you're reading the Bible because the Bible assumes that, that God exists. It doesn't try to prove his existence. It assumes his existence. If you come to the Bible assuming that, that Jesus is God in the flesh, well, then you'll immediately start having a lot deeper insight the minute you start reading because he is God in the flesh and And you'll start seeing Jesus show up in the pages of Scripture in a powerful way. And so all of that, those are good assumptions. But we also have to acknowledge we often come with wrong assumptions to the Bible that that can lead us astray. And so because of that, there's, there's kind of this process where you can check your assumptions at the door. Like, number one, just recognize them. Seek to recognize those assumptions. I mean, like, if you assume that the key biblical characters that you're reading about in the Old Testament stories, because you've been in Genesis and now you're in Exodus, if you're going through the Bible with us, if, if you assume that they are there to be the, the example and the hero for you in the story, so you can do what they did, you're going to get led astray. You might actually think God blesses polygamy, that polygamy is a good thing. There's even a character in the Bible who assumed that God must be blessing me for giving my servant to my husband. Uh, no, he wasn't. We misread things all the time because of our assumptions. If you think that following Jesus is going to protect you from pain, sorrow and loss, you're going to struggle in your faith because that's an assumption that the Bible teaches the exact opposite of. All kinds of horrible things happen to godly People getting word this morning about a, a gal in our church whose husband, or not husband, whose father just passed away from COVID. We've been praying for him. He'd been in the hospital and, and died. And, and it's just heartbreaking. If you bring the wrong assumptions to the table, it can be wrecking to your faith. So recognize them. Number two, evaluate them in light of Scripture. You know, polygamy actually in Scripture brought all kinds of hardship on generations a family, it led to jealousy and, and more sin and mess. And once you recognize it and evaluate those assumptions, then you need to submit those assumptions to Scripture. What does the Bible affirm? What does the Bible say? And as you continue through Scripture, you'll see that Jesus would say, as he affirmed what God ordained in the beginning, when he said that God created man and woman, woman and they would become one Flesh, A husband and his wife would be one. That was God's creation. That's what he ordained. That's what he put forth. And so let scripture tell it how it is, not the other way around. Let his word work through us. And we just humbly check those assumptions at the door. Because if we don't, then we're going to misunderstand and we're going to misinterpret and we're not going to, we're not going to hear from God. And then we'll start forming our own assumptions and attitudes and and direction for our life. And and I want to give you an example of this because I think it's appropriate, especially today on Sanctity of Life Sunday. But I I was reading an article this week. It it was 
First of all, reflecting on the U.S. Supreme Court in December, because the U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments in a pivotal case challenging a Mississippi law banning abortions at 15 weeks. And so the court has till June 2022 to, to make a ruling on that. And so for those who believe in sanctity of life, living in a land where laws protect the sanctity of human life, obviously that's, that's a good thing. This article was citing more than 500 professional college and high school athletes who had signed this amicus brief asking the justices to overturn the law. And they were arguing that abortion rights have helped advance women's sports and that future athletes would suffer without those protections. And the brief argues that athletic prowess depends on bodily integrity. This reality is magnified for women athletes for whom childbearing age coincides with their competitive peak in athletics. It could derail women's athletic careers, academic futures, and economic livelihoods at a large scale. So the opposition to this law was saying that on a large scale, this could affect these things. And then the brief focuses heavily on the story of Chrissy Perham. She won two gold medals, a silver at the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona. And throughout her swimming career and for three decades, she kept a secret that no one knew about that happened before she went to the Olympics, and that was that she had had an abortion. She was 19. She'd gotten engaged a month before when she found out she... She had a car, and I really liked to party, and I really liked my friends, and that was my focus. She said, it's a glaring spotlight on my immaturity. I did not want to give up being a college athlete. It was kind of another huge spotlight on my inner workings. Like, girl, you've got a scholarship, and if you lose this scholarship, your parents can't afford to send you to college. You might not be an athlete anymore, and there was no way I was going to give up any of that. The discussion with her fiancé was, um, I'm pregnant, and I'm not having it, and that was the discussion. It was not an easy Decision. She said, I'd been a volunteer at Planned Parenthood. I'd already watched friends go through that. Chrissy didn't tell anyone because she felt ashamed. She said, I'd already made an appointment and I had to go to practice that afternoon, but I just felt so much shame. I'm a good Catholic girl, or not so good. I was standing on the pool deck and I was just crying, 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 crying. I didn't want to be there, but I needed a little bit of normalcy, but I didn't want anyone to know what was going on. I was reading through this article and just hearing her describe this experience that happened many years ago and decades ago. And the first thing I was just thinking as I was reading this, knowing that this is Sanctity of Life Month was, oh, how I wish she had Pregnancy Care Center. She did have options. She just didn't know. She wasn't alone. She just felt alone. If only she had a place like that that could show her that there's so many options. And, and there are women who have had children who have competed in the Olympics. And we want to help women feel that they're not trapped and stuck and losing everything. This is why we support Pregnancy Care Center and the ministry it is to the women in our community. Because they're providing that. That's what she needed. And she suffered in silence. But when I looked at the brief... What's in the brief that she and others have signed, this concept of aborting a baby so that you can be at your peak athletically or to maintain a scholarship is just heartbreaking. And say not being able to have an abortion after 15 weeks would affect women's athletics on a large scale. I guess meaning many are choosing abortion so they can keep or hold on to that is just 
heartbreaking. I hope that's exaggerated. They're afraid it's going to derail their athletic careers. And so what we're willing to do to hold on to an athletic career. So I'm just, I'm just reading through this thing. Just, and, and then where it goes next just made me realize there was such a misunderstanding of God's word. And because of that, such a misunderstanding of God. Because how we interpret the Bible reveals to us what God is communicating to us. And, and this is what Chrissy said. She said, I don't lead my life based on faith. I do it more based on science. So I don't know if that makes me an atheist. I think I'm spiritual and I have faith, but I'm not going to have someone from a book that was written by a bunch of dudes a really long time ago. I'm not going to have them decide my life because I'm pretty sure we're also never supposed to cut our hair and eat seafood or wear polyester, like all this stuff they joke about. Like you just pick and choose the parts of the Bible. So that's the science part and the forgiveness part. And me talking to the God that I want to talk to, my loving God, that's something between he, she, and me, and not anyone else. And I do want to say there's a huge movement, and there's a lot of support in the Catholic faith to be pro-choice. And having women priests, I do think there's a pendulum swing, and I'm hoping that we can take the faith out of the science part of taking care of our bodies. And there was so much stuff I was, when I'm reading this, I'm just like, wait a minute. I mean, just, I was wrestling with, first of all, faith and science actually do and can go together. But I also was like, if you only live your life by science, that's actually not even possible. Science has such limitation. It makes observations, not explanations. It doesn't give us morals or ethics or any of these other things. There's a lot more than just, just science to life. So how much of life are you missing out on if that's all you live by? It's not all that we live by. And then I, I was just saddened that there was such a complete misunderstanding of the Bible. Such a warped view of the Bible. I mean, first of all, seeing as, as it a bunch of dudes, when it's so much more than that. But also this, this whole understanding, never cut your hair, eat seafood, or wear polyester, and picking and choosing the parts of the Bible. Not even understanding how to understand the Bible, or how to read the Bible, or what interpreting the Bible looks like. And I was just saddened by that, because without an understanding then you can't really know God. And without understanding of Scripture, then you're not going to hear from God. And I'm not going to lead my life by faith. We're saved by grace through faith, not by science. It's through your faith in God. And so I was so heartbroken over that. And the argument she's actually giving is not science anyway. That's not a scientific argument. It's a moral, ethical argument. Argument. This is a justice issue. A justice issue. That life is sacred and God creates. She mentions forgiveness. Yes, God can forgive. God forgives. He can do that. He's able to do that when we come to Him and ask for His forgiveness and repent of our sins. He's able to heal and to forgive and all those things. I think it's important to understand that when you read the Bible, interpreting the Bible is a science. Hermeneutics is the science of interpreting. Based on what the text says, what it means, 
followed by validating that interpretation with what it means, which the best way is Scripture when it interprets Scripture, but there's other ways too, and then discerning the significance of that validated meaning. So, in other words, broadly speaking, there's four steps to hermeneutics. And here's what they are. Number one, what does the text say? That's exegesis. And then what does it mean? That's interpretation. And then how do I know that's what it means? That's validation. And then now that I know what it means, so what? That's significance or application. So there's, there's exegesis, interpretation, validation, and application. This is how we interpret the text accurately so that we know what God wants of us and who he is. And the way we can do that is, number three, pay attention to the details. When you look and you're reading scripture, look at the who, what, when, where, why, what's going on, why is it happening? Look at individual words and verbs and metaphors and comparisons and contrasts. And, and what are they doing in the sentence? Even knowing the tense of the verb, is it, if it's active or passive, can be helpful. I'll give you an example of that because there's some texts that, that you wrestle with that are hard. Like in Romans chapter 1, when it's just talking about how the world is falling apart and how we as humans have worshipped creation instead of the creator. And, and so Paul writes in Romans 1, 24 to 27, he says, therefore God gave them over. Now he's about to talk about why his wrath is coming out on mankind and, and why this holy God is holding people who've rebelled against him accountable. And you're like, wait, he gave them over. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem just because it says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who's forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. So it's talking about God's wrath, his judgment, coming on to mankind for our sin and our rebellion and pursuing that sin in our brokenness. But what does it mean God gave them over? I mean, that hardly seems fair if he did that. Well, what's helpful is to know the verb use of give them over or hand them over because it's stated in an active sense, but the verb itself is passive, which means more like this, intentionally loosening his grip or allowing us to suffer the full consequences of our choices where we are determined to go. He allows us to do that. And so we suffer the consequences. And oftentimes God will try to use those consequences to bring us back, to lead us to repentance. So when you let the verb do what the verb is supposed to do, you don't think God is way more harsh than he really is, but you also don't think God is more loose than he is either. He's a holy, just God, and he will bring wrath to those who rebel against him and reject him. That's why we choose Jesus so we can be saved. But knowing that information helps us to respond appropriately. So we need to look closely at the words that we're reading. And then DeFazio mentions another rule for reading the Bible. It's this one. He says, discern the author's flow of thought. This is called literary context. Look at the flow of thought, literary context. And he gives an example. I think it's a great one. So I'm going to give you a phrase, and I want you to think about what this means. Here it is. Give him a hand. 
I want you to think to yourself, don't say it out loud, just think to yourself, what does that mean? Give him a hand. What does the word hand mean? So if right now you thought of clapping and applauding someone, giving them a hand, raise your hand right now if that was you in the room. So I'm going to say few, few of you. If you thought, help someone out who's struggling, give them a hand, raise your hand if that's what you thought. So that's a lot more of you. How many of you thought, deal the cards, give them a hand. They're trying to play cards right now. Give them a hand. Looking for those poker players in the room or something. I don't know. Just kidding. But I thought I maybe saw one hand, but then you put it down really quick. I'm not sure. It's fine. Um, if you have preschoolers and you've got Mr. Potato Head at home or some Legos, maybe you thought, give him a hand, right? You're, you're trying to give him a hand. There's, and so the context, the words without context are meaningless. I mean, that's just one example. I gave a phrase and each of you brought your own assumptions to what that phrase meant. You heard it in your own way. And had I not clarified, you would have not known, well, what do you mean? Which way are you using it? So you have to look at the flow of thought surrounding it. Pay attention to the context, the literary context. All of us have been taken out of context, and we didn't like it. We felt misrepresented. It was upsetting to us. Imagine how God feels when people misuse his word all the time. And so without context, we get it wrong. It was a couple... Months ago, we were talking from Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And it was that text where it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we talked about how that's maybe one of the more misused and abused scriptures in all of the Bible because people have used it for weightlifting. You know, I'm an, they're, they're in the Olympics. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, climbing mountains and big, I'm going to get this promotion. I can do all things. And that would be a misuse because in the context, it's talking about contentment whether well-fed or hungry, whether naked or clothed, whether he was in need, in want, or provided for, Paul had learned the secret of contentment. And what he learned in that moment was everything that he needed was found in Christ. Jesus provided everything. Everything that God willed for him, he could do in the strength that Jesus provided. That he could rise above his circumstances by the indwelling power that Christ gave him. And that Christ was continually doing that for him and infusing him with strength. So he, he depended on him. That literary context will help you interpret scripture accurately so you don't put it on a t-shirt and start misusing it. Literary context will help you not only communicate accurately, but, but get the big picture of what God is doing. Look at the sentences and the chapters around what you're reading. This is one of the things I love about going through the Bible in a year, like what we're doing right now, is you're reading several chapters of a day, every day. There is some benefits to that, and there's some drawbacks to that. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're just getting through the Scripture instead of the Scripture getting into you. And sometimes you're just, you're, you're working on a chunk. But here's the benefit, is you, it's like stepping up and getting a bigger picture of Scripture, And when you do that, it should lead you to some conclusions you might not get if you just read this. You start seeing the bigger picture. DeFazio gives an example of this from Mark chapter 4 and 5. And some of you are like, it's going to be a long time before I'm to Mark 4 and 5. We're in Exodus right now. You know what? It's going to be a while. But he uses this as an example where he says there's four stories in Mark chapter 4 and 5. At the end of Mark chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are in the boat. Jesus is exhausted from ministry. He's dead asleep in the stern of the boat, the rear of the boat, and a squall comes. 
fierce winds come against the boat. Even seasoned fishermen are scared for their lives. And they wake him in that moment because he wasn't yet awake. And they said, do you care if we drown? I mean, do you even care? And Jesus in that moment calms the storm. Peace. And they are filled with fear. A reverent fear of the power that he demonstrated in that moment. We then get to Mark chapter 5, and in Mark chapter 5, the boat then lands at the region of Gerasenes, where a demon-possessed man comes running out to Jesus. And this demon-possessed man, no one could control. They had chained him. They did all kinds of things. He would just break the chains. He was so powerful because there were many demons in him. Legion was their name. Jesus cast out the demons. And they saw the power that Jesus displayed in that moment, how he freed that man from demon possession. Immediately, Mark takes us in, this, in the story to Jairus, a synagogue official whose daughter was dying in their home. And he comes to Jesus, begging for him to come to his house and heal his daughter. And Jesus starts on his way when in the crowd, as they were pressing around him, a woman who had been bleeding and had spent all of her money on doctors to be healed and could not be healed. She reached out and touched Jesus in faith, thinking, if only I, I touched his cloak, maybe I could be healed. There's a whole reason for that we've talked about before. But in that moment, Jesus felt power go out from him. And he turned around and said, who touched me? And she came trembling, scared, because she was unclean. She wasn't to be touching anybody by law. And she feared in that moment what would come. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. She was healed from sickness. He then continued to Jairus' house and the word came that she was already dead, that the girl was already dead. Jesus didn't even pause. He went straight into that room and he raised that girl from the dead. And when you read Mark chapter four and five all together, you see something you wouldn't see if you just read one of those verses because you see in that moment that Jesus had power over nature, over evil, over sickness, over death. All of a sudden you realize who has that kind of power? God does. Who is Jesus? And when you see the big picture, you begin to see lines or storylines that you wouldn't see otherwise and see how mighty and powerful God is. Jesus is God in the flesh, putting things back together again. And so we start with the right goals. We want to hear from God and understand. And then we we come at it with humility. And then we... Pay attention to the details and to the words that are there. And then we look at the author's flow, literary context, to put it all together to see the storyline of what's unfolding. Because the power is in the context. We've got to discern the, the author's flow of thought. In fact, next week we're going to talk about historical context and why that's so significant and genre and other elements that come into play to understand the Bible. But this is why it's crucial. The reason that this is so crucial and and you want to read the Bible accurately is because the only way to hear what God wants you to hear is if you understand what God is saying to you. And if you don't understand it accurately, then you're not going to hear God speaking to you. So how are you supposed to live it? How are you supposed to obey it? How are you supposed to apply it if you do not read the Word of God accurately? And that leads us really to this fifth thing when it comes to how do I read the Bible? Well, you need to live what you learn. The reason we spend time trying to read it accurately is because we should live what we learn. The Bible makes it clear that this is the goal of what we do. In James chapter 1, 23 to 24, it says, Don't merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Jesus said, He who has ears, let him hear the word of God. That hear meant to obey it. That's what he meant by hear. In fact, in Deuteronomy Hear, O Israel, the Shema, the Lord is one. That the Shema here meant to obey this. 
You obey this. You do this. So here's another way to say it. Interpretation is incomplete without application. We don't just read the word of God and say, hmm, interesting. We go, wow. Ow. How? How do I apply this? How how do I use this in my life? What does God call me to do? What is he wanting to do in me? It's that kind of approach to the word of God in which we, we will lead our lives by faith. Faith that God's word guides us and is salvation for us and is absolute truth for us and is authoritative for us and will lead us into righteousness and to that which is good and pleasing, to that which is a blessing, to that which is holy and right. Otherwise, we're just coming up with it on our own. And for me to say, well, I, I interpret it this way. This is how I see it. It's not letting God speak. And it's not having ears that listen. And it's not saying, God, I want to know what you want me to know. And so today, I just want you, as you reflect on this, to think for a moment. Is your mind thinking the way God wants you to think? Is your life in obedience to what God would have you to do? And if you say, I'm not sure what God would have me to do, are you engaging the word of God from an attitude that says, I'm ready to hear I'm ready to understand. God, I'm going to reflect on what you're saying. And God, would you give me insight into all of this? That's my prayer for you this week. Maybe for some of you that are here today, right now, you need to, you need to repent because you're not living what you're learning right now. And you need to repent of those sins and turn to the Lord. Maybe some of you, you need to put your faith and your belief in Jesus because you could also say, I've not been leading my life by faith. I've been leading it by other things. Maybe for some of you right now, you just need to pray with someone today because you're hurting and you're broken or you feel lost or you're scared because something's happening in your life right now and you just need to pray with someone today or maybe you want to become a member of this church. I want to give you a chance to respond today. Let me tell you how you can do this today. Um, I am, usually I go to Decision Point and meet and pray with people there. I'm not doing that today because of a close exposure I've had. So um, I would like for you to do it this way. I'd like for you to simply take out of your seat pocket in front of you. If you'd like, there's a card there. It's a connect card. One side says prayer, the other side says connect. And you can just fill that out. And on that card right now, right here, you can begin a conversation with us by putting that information on there and dropping it in a box at the back of the room. And uh, if you're in the room or you're watching from home, we got tons of people sick because our community has tons of people sick. So we've been hearing left and right how many people are not here today. And so if that's you and you're watching right now online, simply go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision and that will begin that conversation with us. And my prayer is that today we would come humbly to the Lord. We'd come humbly to the work he wants to do in our life. That we would realize that, you know what Jesus is? the anchor in the storm. He's the truth that we hold to. He's the hope that we have. The promise is fulfilled in him. And you can stand unshakable. Our God is unshakable. You belong to a kingdom 
that is unshakable. And so today we cling to him. And I want you just as you sit today, just to reflect on that and to sing these words in your heart to the Lord. And what is he calling you to do? Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.